okay. If you're a journalist who uses the tool Help a Reporter Out, or Harrow, listen up. Harrow is moving to Cision's new app, Connectively. But what is Connectively? Well, imagine a place where you can quickly connect with expert sources for your next story. Connectively is a new app from Cision that's changing the way journalists like us, content creators, experts and PRs work together. So if you're in search of credible sources, Connectively is your next stop. With just a click, you can publish your queries. These go straight to a feed where experts from loads of different backgrounds can respond, giving you their expertise. So go on, visit connectively.us to sign up for free. That's C-O-N-N-E-C-T-I-V-E-L-Y dot U-S. Connectively dot us. Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists. I'm Emma Wilkinson. And I'm Lily Cantor. And welcome back to this final series of the year. Um, This is one of our series where we do something a little bit different. And uh, this time we're talking to journalists who have specialisms about their various niches and how they got into them. Um, Yeah, before we get into that, Lily, though, we need to do what we always do. And I'm just suddenly panicking because I realised I haven't actually thought of one, which (laughs) is to have our highlight of the week. So I'm going to ask you to go first so that I can then think yeah so mine is that I survived Black Friday um so whilst we're recording this we're in the the midst of Black Friday and I've been doing um shifts all week in the lead up to it and then today had a very early start doing shifts and working on updating content um and yeah my brain is a bit fried now but I've survived so that is going to be my highlight have you thought of one Emma? Fantastic. Yeah. Um, oh, what is my highlight of the week? Um, I did get uh, a thank you for some work that I've been doing as part of an organisation that I'm part of, um, that I've been sort of doing in my spare time, not for any money, but just for a bit altruistically giving some something back to freelance community. Um, and I did get a thank you for the work that I've done. It's always nice, isn't it, when people yeah. kind of recognise that... Um, you know that you put some effort into something because you do think you kind of do these things sometimes it was a bit of social media work and nobody even notices <laughs> that you've mm. done it so yeah it was just quite nice to to have that recognition yes yes it's always nice to be appreciated as freelancers it doesn't happen very often <laughs> lovely okay it's time to introduce our guest this week Today, we have with us science and technology journalist, Chris Baranuk, who has been freelance for almost a decade. He regularly writes about complex scientific topics through a social or political lens and has written for the BBC, New Scientist, BMJ, The Economist, Wired and many more, as well as doing quite a bit of broadcast work. It's great to have you with us today, Chris. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, let's start by finding out a bit more about you. So t- tell us about your career so far and why science, I guess. Is this is this something you had a background in? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's it's lovely to be here. And well, I'll I'll tell you 
the backstory. I don't have a science background. I grew up in Northern Ireland and I was always really interested in video games when I was a child. I remember the first interaction I had with journalism that I remember was a magazine called N64 magazine, about the Nintendo 64. And if any of your readers know it, they'll remember it as a very funny and informative magazine of the 1990s. And I just thought that would be the coolest thing to do, <laughs> would be to work for a magazine like that and to have all the fun that those people writing it seemed to be having. Uh, and I gradually just started writing about video games myself and publishing my little articles on a, on a website when I was about 12 or 13. And I never really stopped writing uh, from there on. Uh, and I went to university, I studied English, which was very good for learning how to write and what good writing looked like. But it was only after that that I moved to London and started another website about technology, this time a bit more uh, lofty, uh, tried to be anyway. It was a blog about social media uh, and, and how we were all at the time. This is about the year 2020, 2011. Facebook was really booming. People were getting smartphones. We were all realizing that our world around us was changing. And I thought, well, this is a big social and cultural moment. So I started writing about that. And that led into writing about science more generally, which is what I've been doing full-time now, uh, ever since May 2014. And how have things kind of evolved then since you first started out? And, and is there anything that kind of you wish you'd known when you started? Well, I, I think the thing that has become more apparent over the years and that I'm more at peace with <laughs> than I may have been initially is that, uh, I'll put it like this, editors are a bit like shoes. Some fit you and some don't. Uh, and that's okay. You know, you, you find out that you have good working relationships with people, sometimes brilliant working relationships, and sometimes it just doesn't come together, no matter how hard you try. And you have to move on in some cases, but that's all right. So I think when you start out, you're you're desperate for any work you can get. You want to impress everyone. And uh, it's harder to be just as cognizant of where things are actually working and where they're not. So that's one thing that has, you know, I'm, I'm more comfortable with now. It's not always easy, but but that has changed. Um, and actually, just a, a bit about your previous question on, on a science background. Over the years, I've come to realize just what a gift not having a science background is when you write about science, because I don't have any, uh, you know, preconceptions on in some areas. You know, when I go to write a story, I'm coming at it, as I like to think a reader will with, you know, without being initiated, with questions that may to an expert seem a bit obvious, but were actually quite fundamental. And if you don't ask those, then you you miss the opportunity to write about something coherently and accessibly. And that to me is the most important thing. Yeah, I always think that about working in health journalism as well. I mean, I often find myself asking questions that I sort of know the answers to as well, but I need, I want to kind of get that story in the in the simplest way. Um, I mean, looking at your online portfolio, portfolio, you have such a wide variety of stories. We've got kind of sustainability of Lego, heat pumps, mouldy homes, extreme weather, synthetic wine. My favourite headline that I spotted on your website was the plan to farm fish on the moon, which immediately uh, <laughs> hooked me in. Um, I'm really interested in where you get your ideas from, sort of how you find out about these topics in the first place. Yes, I mean, it could be anywhere. It's a little cliche, isn't it? But I, I'll i say this. 
as a freelancer, I like to offer, by which I mean sell, things that are a little bit different, a little bit not in the mainstream, because I think the staff writers in general are doing that anyway. I really love writing the story that might not make the front page, but it might stay with you a bit longer in your mind than the thing that was on the front page. You know, I look for quirkiness, um, things that challenge your expectation a bit, or or maybe stories that reveal a, you know, a new depth to something that has actually been talked about quite a lot. Uh, so I look for ideas in all kinds of ways. I, I find ideas on social media. I see people talking about things that maybe the media, the mainstream media isn't really covering. And I think, well, there's a way into that by responding to the obvious interest that's out there. Of course, I keep a very close eye on academic journals. The scientific journals are, you know, they're sprawling. And there's always an idea in there. I could pick any day of the week and go in and find something uh, in, in sources like that. And also keeping an eye on what, you know, really well-informed commentators are saying about a particular subject. And you're right. I mean, I, I've been sort of spoilt and very fortunate in being able to write about all kinds of different things. I, I wouldn't say I write about every type of science. I mean, I don't tend to write very much about things like astronomy. There are some people out there who do that so well, and it's such a huge topic. Um, and everything going on in space. You know, I, I did write about farming fish on the moon, this idea, but that was more of a a kind of aquaculture story in my mind, even if it is a bit sci-fi. I think leaning on sci-fi is fine, but I'm not an expert in what what goes on in terms of you know rocket engineering and all that kind of thing. Uh, but I suppose over time, I have become a little bit more focused on the topic of energy uh, and how we use energy and what is sustainable and what isn't. And particularly at the moment, how we heat our homes, how we manage energy at home, uh, it's it's something that we're all thinking about because of the increase in energy prices. And there's just so many stories to be written about how we can do that better and how things are going to change in the future with new technologies. Yeah, I mean, it's such a hot topic, isn't it? Do you ever find that when you start looking into a story, you've obviously got a really kind of keen idea for what makes a good story. Do you often find when you're looking into it, it's not what you thought it would be, or the story is something else? The the way into the story is 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 different than you expected. Do you know what? I think that happens less often than you might imagine. So often, if you have a, a that hunch, that feeling that oh, there's a story in that, basically it turns out to be that as long as the material is there. Of course, sometimes you think there'll be a story and there isn't. When you look at it a bit closer, it just sort of falls apart or it's too weak and that kind of thing happens. But I think you've you know, the whole like, my whole business rests on these hunches that I get. <laughs> and it, they in turn rest on whether an editor agrees with me that that's a good idea or not. Uh, that's the only way I get work and that's the only way these things come together in the end is by following those hunches because they're what lead the curiosity. And a curiosity, if I didn't have that, uh, yeah, I wouldn't lift a finger, would I? You know, that that is the driving force. Mm. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that because, you you know, you, you alluded to there the fact that, you know, an editor's got to be interested in, in the same topic as well. And do you find that certain things work when you're pitching? And are, I wonder, are there certain trends as well, you know, periods of time when editors are looking for stories on, you know, particular topics more than others? Oh yes, oh yes. I mean, uh, there ha there has been, uh, for example, with the Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I mean, there have been times when we've wanted to look at 
some of the implications of that. Uh, I wrote about the destruction of the Kharkovka Dam, for example, and uh, the ecological consequences of that. So you've, you, you, of course, have to keep an eye on what's happening in the world, what's topical. Readers in, inevitably are interested in those things. You have to follow uh, you know, th those instincts uh, as much as you can. But there's always room, I think there's always room to do something left of field and to come up with something that's just very different, uh, unexpected, but, you know, interesting enough to deserve its place in, in coverage, you know. Yes, absolutely. And I think you've obviously got editors that you've written for kind of time and time again, like you mentioned at the beginning, you get those relationships that you build over time and you find those editors that you work well with. Um, those publications that perhaps suit you kind of more um, but are you still sort of pitching ideas a lot are people coming to you with can you write as a feature on this ever sort of what does that balance look like yes that's a good question it has uh, changed over time over the last decade let's say I mean I think it started out with 100% me pitching and just hoping to get something you know and then over time as I've got to know editors and built the relationship as you described then Yes, they do come to me sometimes and say, look, could you do something on this? It happened just the other week. That was great. I love that. Uh, I'd still say it's probably a majority of my own ideas and, you know, self-initiated stories, if you like. But to have editors who you know want to work with you on maybe a sort of topic area. Uh, there's one editor, I mean, I work, I work for BBC News quite a lot. And there's an editor there who called Ben Morris. He's brilliant. And we work on all kinds of different things, but I do write quite a lot about the sort of home energy and uh, smart home technologies that I was mentioning earlier. And, and I tend to come up with the ideas but on, on that, but he responds well to them, it seems. So I, I really enjoy that sort of you know, development of, of our coverage of that area. You know, it, it's become its own beast in a way. And what happens to those stories that, get away that you know that you can't find a home for um do you you know do, are you able to let go of them or do you have a sort of technique for convincing editors that you know this is a story worth telling <laughs> I'm uh irrepressible <laughs> I try to be anyway I get very frustrated if editors don't like the pitch and I keep thinking to myself I think this is great why can't I convince someone on this and I sometimes do find it hard to let go. I mean, we all have to recognise that our own interest in something may actually not be as transferable as we hope it will be. But I will give you an example. I wrote a piece uh, about uh, Diana McAnulty uh, and other uh, writers and researchers looking at the impact of being in nature on our well-being. And if you don't know Darren McAnulty, he's a Northern Irish author. He's a, He's very young. He's only a student. At university at the moment but at the time he wrote the text for his book which was called diary of a young naturalist he was still at school and it just struck me as incredibly accomplished writing about a place that i know very well and places that i've been and i could see the value in in what he was doing in describing the huge impact that being in nature can have on your well-being and on your psyche if you like I think I pitched it to about 10 different editors, not really having any luck at all. I was trying to convince them that, that this writing really was exceptional, that, that this author had put into this book, you know, this young, young author. 
And eventually I realized that actually the way into the story was to think about uh, the topic more broadly uh, and that there was an, a market for writing about his book in America because his book was about to come out in America and the publishers were poised to do all the publicity. So I, it was the first pitch I made to Knowable magazine, they're based in west coast of the USA, and they took the story, uh, but it was only through that process of failed pitching that I sort of realized how to do it and how it would work for other people besides just me. Yeah, I mean, that's a good lesson for all of us, I think, isn't it? That sometimes it's just finding the right home for the idea. It's not the idea itself. And actually, you're kind of taking feedback from people who don't want it and thinking, right, how can I change this? How can I adapt this? Perhaps there's a different market for this. So I think that's quite a good good advice there, Chris. Um, I mean, tell us a bit about your week, because you're pitching, you're writing stuff, you've got broadcast, kind of how do you juggle it? How many stories might you have on the go at once, do you think? I try to write about two stories a week, and these stories tend to be around a thousand words long, maybe up to 1500. Now, sometimes I do longer and sometimes I do shorter, but I like to have that sort of rhythm. Uh, at any one time, I could be working on three, four, maybe one or two more at the absolute most. I try to have a, a nice steady turnover and I plan month roughly in advance. And I think about, well, I'm going to have to sell something this week in order to have something after that next piece I've got to do. You know, I, I'm always thinking ahead a little bit, but never that much. I've said this for years. I never know what I'm going to be doing two months from now. I have no idea. It's been like that for nearly a decade. It's just, I try and be reactive. I try and book things in uh, relatively close to when I want to do them. Uh, now and again, that means there are some fallow times uh, and maybe a bit more of a gap between stories than I would like, but you just have to work with that and push on. Um, they come in, stories do tend to come in little waves. I think, you know, I get three or four at a time and then I, book them in and I go and write them. And then I think, right, I've got to do a few more. And, uh, you know, it just goes like that. But uh, it doesn't get much easier over time. It's, it's mad to me that, you know, I'm still kind of balancing this all the time. It's constantly juggling. I'm very lucky that I do continue to get things commissioned and people come to me asking for stories. That's That's been the case for a few years. There's been a regularity to that that has kept me afloat. So I've just tried to keep it going, really. Yeah, and that juggle, like you say, nev that never really stops. And Emma and I are always trying to work out different ways of doing things and different ways of organising our weeks. And yeah, no matter what you do, there doesn't seem to be a, a kind of easy way of, of doing it. Because like you say, the, the work ebbs and flows. So you you never have that kind of security. But I guess that's kind of what's exciting and challenging about being freelance as well and another thing I wanted to pick up there was you you were talking about you know you try to be quite reactive so I wonder with the sort of topics that you're doing and if you are doing stuff that's quite tight turnaround do you ever find it difficult to find the right specialist sources to speak to and, and how would you kind of go about finding the right people? Yes really I it happens very very seldom that I can't reach someone I, I need to speak to now it could be that there's a quite a lot of people I contact and none of them get back to me but there's still more people in the bag if you like I mean with the internet 
it's so easy to find dozens of experts on practically anything you can imagine. Sometimes in some areas, uh, it's a little harder to be, uh, you know, to find diverse sources, you know, of different ethnic backgrounds, different genders and so on. I try to do that. I try to make sure that I'm giving a voice to as many different people as I can. But because some subject areas remain very white male dominated, it's a little more challenging to do that. But it's basically my job, right? I, I go out there and make the time, make the effort to find people to sort of light up the stories with the, their insight. That's the whole idea. So uh, I, I I don't tend to have too much trouble with that, but I do find that you have to really push. <laughs> you have to make the, put the legwork in, if you like. Yeah, and always having that plan B, <laughs> kind of having that backup idea if the original person that you're going to is is not being responsive. Um, and one thing that we get asked um, a lot um, especially by new freelancers is like how do you go about getting regular work how do you go about getting kind of those regular regular gigs and um, what kind of how have you over the years I suppose what um, have you learned about building those relationships with editors and making sure that the next time they want something on a topic that they come back to you what would your advice be for uh, being that go-to person I think this is a great question because quite a lot of the time editors don't really, you know, show you their hand. You know, they don't tell you that they really like the thing that you filed. Actually, quite often <laughs> they just want to get the thing sorted and they have so many things to do. They're so overwhelmed. Uh, you can't really have that back and forth. So it's perfectly OK to ask editors. And I do this sometimes. Did you actually like that? <laughs> and sometimes I'll say, oh, no, no. Yeah, that was good. Uh, hope, you know, that's that doesn't always happen. But yeah. Uh, and I think just being alive to what it is they want. Ask them directly, what is it you want? Or tell them to show you an example of an article that they've commissioned that they think turned out really well. That then gives you an understanding of what it is they want. Your job as the freelancer is to supp supply that service, you know, to, to give them what they want, as you know, the old cliche goes. Like, I think that is, it's, it's easy as a writer sometimes to think, oh, here's how I think we should say everything. or or to kind of be led by your instincts. And I said earlier that your hunches, you know, to me, they are key, but still they're not for you. They're for your client and the reader and you have to, you know, package it in a certain way. So just understand your editors as best you can. I have to say, if editors are not open to discussing this or to building up a relationship, I find that really hard. I don't know what I'm supposed to do in that situation, apart from maybe, you know, jump through an imaginary hoop. I don't know if they're not willing to have any dialogue and, and just a little bit of feedback now and again, you're on your own. And that's a very difficult position to be in. Uh, but luckily, I find many, many editors who aren't like that and who are able to, you know, give you a bit of time of their day so that you both understand, you know, what you should be aiming for. And that benefits everyone at the end of the day. And I guess a lot of what you're doing is quite technical as well. Like you said, you haven't got a science background, but that means you can come at this, these topics as a lay person. But I mean, do you have any tips on kind of how to make quite technical or, or scientific topics um, more accessible to a wider readership? Yeah, there's a few things. I mean, first of all, I always do this, read your drafts aloud, record them, play them back. Could you imagine hearing it on the radio? 
you know, to, to a wide general audience? Would it actually make sense to them? Uh, or or try thinking about how you would explain it to a very, very non-technical person that you know, maybe someone in your family or a friend. How would you put it to them? Another way is to think about if you were to write a really short, grabby piece about it for a social media post, or if you were to do a TikTok video about it, how would you do that in a way that actually uh, allowed people to understand what you're on about? Uh, you know, those sorts of way, ways of imagining how you would put it, I think, helped me a lot. Of course, forcing yourself to be as brief as possible. Uh, it's amazing how on the second, third, fourth take of a paragraph, you know, you can find all kinds of ways of cutting it down and cutting out the the unnecessary, the superfluous parts. And analogies in science reporting, uh, you're always leaning on things that, with which people are familiar to explain that with which they are not. You know, that that's just, you know, bread and butter. Yeah. But have you ever had a topic that you just haven't been able to wrap your head around? Because, I mean, I know when I used to do a lot of personal finance writing, I went through a stage where everyone seemed to want an article on cryptocurrency. And no matter how many times I wrote about it and spoke to experts, I did not understand it. And I managed to kind of convey it in layman's terms in the article, but I, I still was struggling to understand it myself. I, I just wondered, are there ever, ever any topics like that that you just, you you really do have difficulty wrapping your head around it? There are some that are very challenging. Uh, there's no doubt. I mean, I wrote a piece for the BMJ some months ago now about cancer vaccine research. And that took a lot of reading and a lot of talking to people, people who were very well informed and very patient with me uh, to get the detail on, on what was actually happening uh, in the development of, of some of these fascinating vaccines. Uh, and just recently, I was writing a piece about LEDs and I got to the point of you know looking into the detail of how LED lights work. And there's some amazingly complex physics going on uh, in terms of you know how they upscale the energy that is produced by some of these lights. And it it surprised me because I didn't expect that in that particular story. It was quite a, a story I thought would be quite easy, <laughs> but it actually took me a lot of time. Um, but the resources are there, I think for almost anything. Uh, you can you know speak to your sources, ask them directly, just tell me how this works. So you know, what does that really mean when you say X or Y? And then all over the internet, there are, interesting and well well written articles that that should flesh out the basics of almost anything and i i think that is possible for most topics i personally you know the thing i try and fight against is this idea that science is uh, oh so complex and and difficult i mean it is but i hate that i i really want because it affects everyone doesn't it it's, it's so fundamental fundamental to our lives and and that I'm driven by trying to, you know, make science less foreign, less difficult and strange, you know, because really it isn't. It's just that scientists have come up with all kinds of complex ways of explaining things that I am um, paid to unravel. <laughs> so I try to do anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think as adults, we can sometimes be a bit nervous about seeming stupid almost when we're asking questions, but children would never think like that. If they just find something interesting like you know whatever it is a bit of science or you know volcanoes or whatever they would just keep asking questions until like amazing questions until they understood 
what it was so I think sometimes we can get in our own way thinking oh, I should know this I, I don't want to ask about it when actually yeah it just asked the questions that's always a good uh, a good starting point um one of the things that I wanted to ask you about Chris is that whenever we ask freelancers um why they freelance the the first thing that everybody always says is variety I want to choose what I do and I want to choose what I write about um mm. How important is that to you to have kind of variety of topics, perhaps types of articles, kind of people that you work for? Does that help keep things interesting for you? Do you think? Do you think that's something that attracts you to freelancing? I'd say it's fundamental. When I started freelancing back in 2014, I imagined to myself I would do it for a year, and then you know, at that point, I'd have a portfolio, and then I'd try and get a job, a staff job somewhere. And by the end of that year, I was just doing too many different things, uh, getting all kinds of different work. And I thought, well, I don't want to stop this. And it's really, it's been like that ever since. I have done shift work uh, for clients before. So I've been booked in, you know, for a week or two weeks, or something, things like that. And that's always been great and sometimes very welcome financially. But I, I've never felt that I want to do it full-time permanently, if you, if you like. I think that I... As I say, I'm driven a bit by curiosity and to some degree that is a little bit uh, dependent on, on, you know, the freedom of, of choosing one topic or another and it can be different one week to the next. But I will say this, I think over the last year or two, I have become, become to be a little bit more focused in what I want to write about, what sort of things I'm pitching, as I say, on these kind of energy related uh, stories, stories about housing and how we live and, and the technologies in our home I, I started out you know running all the time about things like smartphones or social media and i'm much 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 more interested these days in people's boilers right or uh, the the lighting technology they've got in their home or whether they've got uh, you know an interesting way of reducing humidity and damp uh, these kinds of you know fabric of the home things really get me going and i I think over time, it, 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 many people may find that there are areas that they feel they can just write about endlessly. This at the moment feels like that for me. So I hope to be you know, pursuing that for, for quite a while. But I don't think I'd ever say, no, I'd never write about ecology again. Of course not. I, I love writing about that as well. It's just I think you develop a little bit more of a sense of what works for you uh, and, and your readers. And out of everything that you've done, is there one piece of work that really stands out in your mind as like your favourite piece to write or research? I I, I couldn't possibly choose a, a particular article, but the pieces I've written that have touched on poverty have felt like the most important to me and I felt most privileged to be able to do that. I've spoken to some people who are in really dreadful situations and they've shared very personal experiences with me about what that's like. And I felt very honored really to be able to uh, give a voice to them or help them share their voice, I should say. And I think that we are currently in, in a place in the world where we're understanding just how complicated, the, for example, the public health implications of poverty are and how much science and technology could do to help address that. And I think that, uh, you know, the, the motivation to shine a light on that, if you like, that that is, is very powerful. I, I 
would write about it even more but sometimes uh, as a science journalist it's it's difficult i'm not i'm not sort of a typecast as a social issues journalist if you like i have to find the scientific way into those stories uh, and there are, are many but i think that uh, you know I, I do try very hard to to look at that issue i think it's very important i think that um there's a lot of value in that yeah i'd seen your the piece that you wrote about um kind of the doctor who was trying to um kind of stop battle against children living in moldy homes mm -hmm. um which is something that I've written about as well and I think sometimes those kind of public health type topics I know they do me can sort of get you really kind of riled up and just like just the injustice of it all um can actually that can be quite a driving force to to be writing about those things yeah I think I think science always has a moral dimension and the reason i think that science journalism is uh, and science communication you know sometimes you hear this phrase oh science journalism isn't just if you're if you're just doing science communication you're not doing science journalism and i think well it's a very strange sort of dichotomy because really you always have to do both and science is never really without a political or social context and as a journalist you write about how things work yes you you write about the basics or what we know about a phenomenon but you also write about what that means in the real world and uh, how it affects real people and if, if inevitably you do that and i try and do that and i think that that's where you know you hope your work will have some impact absolutely well, it's been really fascinating talking to you about your work and and there's been lots of great advice there as well for others uh, looking to kind of really get into a specialism. So thank you very much. Um, before we sign off, though, um, we would like to get your recommendation of a piece of work by another freelance journalist. So have you got something for our listeners to go away and have a look at? Yes, there's all sorts of things I could choose, but there's a piece that I read about 10 years ago that I still think is absolutely incredible. It's called Confessions of a Drone Warrior. It was in GQ magazine. It was written by Matthew Power, who very tragically died, I think, about a year after that article was published. But he was a prolific freelancer and uh, really accomplished. The story has what we were just talking about. Uh, it's about technology, but the moral dimension it's about a American soldier who was involved in uh, flying uh, drone missions uh, for the USA. And I won't spoil it, but, you know, all of the, the ethical dilemmas and the personal impact that that had on him, as well as the consequences more broadly. It's a story that captures so much and is so narratively rich. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever written something as good as that. It's still, to me, the sort of thing that I would hold up as an example of, yeah, this is how you, this is how it's really done. Thanks, Chris. That's such a powerful recommendation. We'll try and find a link to that to put it in our show notes so people can go have a, have a look if that's still available. So that's it for this episode. Um, if you want bonus podcast episodes, you can become a premium newsletter subscriber. Find us on Substack um, where you can get access to an extra weekly newsletter and podcasts.
Um, all our other resources can be found on our website at freelancingforjournalists.com. Yes, thank you very much, Chris. And thank you also to our producer, Maddie Drury. And we'll be back again next week with another episode. But goodbye for now. Bye.